get to that um, as we conclude service this morning. But today I'm going to finish uh, a fall series on the book of Ephesians. I'm going to uh, try and, and, and tackle all of Ephesians chapter 6 today. We're going to read through that this morning. And I'm going to jump in pretty quickly here. Because you know what next week is? It's Christmas already. All right? So we'll start a Christmas series next week. Um, and so we will already be, when you return, we will officially be in the Christmas season next Sunday. So I hope you're ready uh, for Christmas 2017. Um, if you're not, it's time to get ready, okay? So I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump in and go through Ephesians 1 through 6 as we conclude this series and conclude this book of the Bible. Um, so join me as we begin with a word of prayer. Well, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to, to share your word And thank you for the opportunity to be with brothers and sisters in Christ that long to hear and long to know, long to understand, and long to apply your word. And now may we be reminded that that is the most important piece. We can hear a sermon every Sunday and it make absolutely no difference in our life. But Lord, for a moment, with reverence for you, may we hear each word as we look at these texts in your word and be reminded that you're speaking directly to us. And so now, may we be the people of God that choose to respond and apply your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm just going to read through each section and tackle just a few small pieces. And I almost um, feel like I need to apologize because there's, there's not, there's so much more I could give to, to all of these different sections um, in the book of Ephesians, or in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, I'm calling this today not against flesh and blood. We're going to see that concept coming up quite a bit in this text. And the big four things we're going to hit, hit on are family, family, slavery, armor, and love. So let's jump into Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through, what, 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And they all just went downstairs. So you probably wish I would have kept them up here for at least that part, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children, Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, we are in the book of Ephesians, and I remind you that Ephesians is, is the most circular book to the church. This is a book that was really not written as much to a specific cause as a lot of Paul's epistles are. This book was written to the church universal, the church that had just formed. And what we're reading in this passage is how, is how Paul places these things in here because Paul realizes that the relationships in the family will affect more than anything else in the church. I'm going to say that again. The relationships in each intermediate family will have perhaps the greatest effect on the church itself. Now, I say that is, is, is kind of someone who, who's even seen that. Um, some of you know that before I came here, I worked at a Christian school. And the last year that I was there, I was the principal of that school. And well, actually, when I was standing... With, because we were at a Christian school, be, be perfectly honest with you, 75% of the kids that came there were really good kids. We didn't have a lot of behavior issues with them. We just didn't have a lot of issues, period. But then there was that other 25% or less that we did have those issues with. 
And it was really kind of funny how when we looked at, at these kids, almost what we, we, could, we could sit and we knew their stories. We could, we could go back and trace something that was happening at home, something that was a little bit off at home. And what I'm trying to say is, is that, that that relationship, what's taking place in the home, is incredibly vital to the scope of what the church is called to do and what the, what the church is called to do here in this world. So I called that the, and, and the 75, almost the 75% rule. And there's even when we, you know, when I get together with, with my family and when educators get together and talk about some of the challenges that they're having in the classroom in public schools, it's, it's almost like the elephant in the room, the problem that they can't fix, and it is the number one problem. The number one problem is always what is going on at home, what is happening at home or what is not happening at home. And so as parents and as children as well, we need to see how incredibly vital this family relationship is. It says parents must, of course, parents or uh, children must learn to respect their parents that is a commandment. I could talk so much more about that. It's one of the Ten Commandments because if you understand authority and have a respect for somebody older than you that has gone before you, um, you're going to have a, you're, it, that's eventually going to lead to a respect for the Lord himself and a respect for the natural order that was created in this universe. So parents, as, you've been, as, it, as it addresses fathers in this passage, as you've been given that type, that similar authority, the word in there is exasperate, that you have this power to really make that go south. If you embitter your children, if they have this bitter taste in their mouth about what a parent is, well, then one day when they're faced with a choice to choose to understand who God is, they're going to have a tainted, twisted view about who he is. Because when I think of father, I think of my father who neglected me. I think of my father who was always hard on me. I think of my father who never even told me that he loved me. And so there's that, there's that instinctual thing that can happen if kids do not have good parents. And so we have to recognize how incredibly vital that home experience is. And I could, I, this is a Father's Day sermon right, here, right now. And, and, and so I, I'm not going to get into all of these things. But the four four big things that, that I hope that you can take away and know that is incredibly vital in your home life, is love. And when I say love, I mean open and affirming love. The kind, not the kind of love, well, my kids know that I love them. No, they need to hear that from you. They need to be affirmed and reminded. But that's just, that's one element. There's a couple other ones. D- discipline, challenge, and of course, faith. And unfortunately, the faith part are, we're, as parents today, we're defaulting that faith means I take my kids to church on Sundays. No, faith means that you empower and share your faith and get in the word and empower your kids throughout the week. Um, that is the faith element as well. Now, so much more I could say about all these things, but uh, I want to move on and get through the rest of this book. The next thing, the, this is Paul bringing this to a close, some of the most vital things. Next, he talks about slavery. So in, in, in chapter in verse five, it says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. 
Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. So that's Ephesians verses 5 through 9. Now, this is a massive concept that I just can't, it's not fair for me to give five minutes to. Because you can imagine what, imagine being in an African American church in the 1960s or even, even before that when slavery was, slavery was prevalent in America, and imagine reading a passage like this in Scripture. It can be very confusing to you, and it can be something like, so you, it's almost like you're reading, so you're saying slavery is a good thing? The Bible is not a proponent of slavery. But the Bible clearly speaks to a context, uh, speaks directly to slaves themselves. And so what is the message for slaves themselves? Is it to revolt against their masters? No. This battle was not against flesh and blood. Let me just say, let's keep that in mind. Not against flesh and blood. The, the commission to the slaves in this context was to serve in such a way that your service honors God and that your masters see and notice you as someone who is faithful. And then there's a challenge to the masters themselves. Now, this is a hard concept for us to swallow in our earthly context, but maybe, I don't know, how many of you have ever seen the movie Unbroken? Have you ever seen that movie before? Doggone it, I'm the only one in here. Well, so what happens in this movie? It's a true story about um, a man who, who, who first of all, they, their ship crashed in World War II, American soldier who ship crashed in World War II, and he was, they were stranded on the water for a long time with two other guys. One of them ended up dying, and the other one survived. And then, guess what? He finally gets saved, but he was saved by the Japanese. And so he, then he goes into a, basically a prison camp for the rest of the war. Well, for the rest of the war, this guy was, he was kind of a stud, and like the, the, they call the movie Unbroken. Anything that the, basically the guard tried to challenge him with, he overcome now, here's what's, what's mysterious. That, that's, this thing had nothing to do with Scripture, but it's loaded all in Scripture about what Paul just talked about here. There was this certain kind of reverence. This guy, this prison guard, could have killed this man at any point that he wanted to. Why didn't he? Because there was a certain kind of honor that he saw in what this man was capable of, that anything he was asked to do, any kind of torture he put him through, he overcame and kept a good attitude through, through, the, through every moment of it. There was this certain kind of boundary that this prison guard couldn't cross because there's something reverent about this man's obedience. There's something reverent about this man's power. So no matter what he tried to put him through, he was not broken. And ultimately, that man, the story, the way the whole thing ends down the road, that man ended up being an incredible witness to this guy. Now, I could say so much more about this, but this fits our context too. I know most of you aren't, nobody in this room is a slave today, but I know, it's, I know somebody somewhere in here, maybe just one, has had a boss that they didn't like too much. Has been put in situations where they felt like they've been dealt an unfair card. And the message in scripture is that we learn to be obedient and honor God in such a way that is reflective to those that we serve. Now, once again, so much more I could say about this. But Paul's, once again, Paul's words were not to um, run away from this, but rather to serve in such a way that it honors God. Now, you read throughout the rest of Scripture, 
the scripture of the whole, it is very clear that the Bible is certainly not a proponent of slavery. Um, so, but the Bible spoke to the people in those contexts of that day. Now, here is a passage that I just, I don't want to leave you with lots of questions, so I would love to talk to you more about this passage because it's a huge topic. But the, these kind of things are things that bring confusion in a lot of our African-American churches today, and, and they have theology that, that even branches off and against of some of this stuff, and so this is obviously a huge issue. Now, next, I want to talk about the armor So we did family, slavery, and now the armor. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, Paul concludes this chapter in Ephesians, his whole letter in Ephesians. And it begins with this concept about taking up an armor and letting him know that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but powers of principalities and darkness. This Wednesday night, we, we hosted the youth group. And we had about 40 people here Wednesday night with students and adults. And we were talking, um, a big part of our discussion Wednesday night was about social media. And it was funny because I think I'm probably the youngest or the second youngest. I love still calling myself the youngest. I was probably the youngest or the second youngest leader there. And me, just like all the other older leaders there, when we start talking about this social media stuff and this tr- these troubles that the kids have today with social media, it's all just kind of foreign to us, and it's all just kind of weird, and it just it doesn't make sense because we didn't grow up in that culture. This stuff seems really petty, and it seems really silly. It seems like kids' stuff to, to make yourself to filter an image and put it out there online and make yourself look different than you really are. It seems like kids' stuff to to care a lot about how many followers you have and to actually do little things through technology to claim more followers. Doesn't, can't we agree that that seems to be kid stuff? But yet, if we're really honest, we often operate the same way as adults. We don't do it with social media, but we often strive against man we often make our, try to make ourselves look a little better than we are and try to put on some kind of facade 
versus other human beings. We constantly compare ourselves and go back and forth. And yes, we need to look back at Scripture and be reminded that this thing that we're doing, yeah, it's kids stuff. And see, I want to tell you why Paul says in this passage is that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principality of darkness, is because we have to be reminded that there are two battles that you will have the choice to live your life in. The first is the one that I just told you about. I could, I'll call it man versus man or women versus women. That human struggle and that human battle that it is the enemy's goal to get you to engage in as a Christ follower. But Paul presents something else to us. And he says, stop this. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the powers and the principalities of darkness. Now, you would say, so you're talking about good and evil, right, Pastor Brody? Well, sure I am. So you're talking about God versus Satan, right? Actually, no, I'm not. Because if you understand eschatology, what's called the classic form of eschatology, is if, you got, if you've ever heard the term Armageddon, what, what most classical eschatologists believe of what's going to happen at the end of days is that there is going to be a battle, man versus man. They're going to continue. So this thing that we see, this dissension and this separation that keeps happening in our country and whether you feel it or not, seeing it happening in the world, it's going to get so strong that people are going to begin to annihilate each other. And then you know how it ends? Is that this war has gotten, this is, this is according to popular eschatologists, and you can find this in Scripture, in interpretation of Scripture. It ends where the people have been so tainted by this war itself that an, a present antichrist on earth rallies the people to declare war on God himself who allowed this to happen. And when God comes and engages the, in the war, you know how long it lasts? Seconds. It's over. It ends. So there is no war between God and man. There's men and women who have been empowered by the Spirit of God to make war against the powers and principalities of this world, the things that try to distract us, that try to pull us away from our reason, our destiny, the reason that we were created to live. I've shared an illustration before, and I'll actually share it really quickly with you here. There's, this, there's a story in heaven, there's a story told in heaven where right after Jesus was died upon the cross and then he ascended in the heavens that we read about in the book of Acts chapter 1, there was like a party going on in heaven. And everybody was all getting around and all excited about what Christ had just done. He had now torn the veil so that men and women could be in, in relationship with, with, with Christ on the earth and, 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 and have this great level of new intimacy. And then everybody was all excited, high fives. There was just this great time of celebration for what Christ had done. But yet there's this one skeptical angel in the background scratching his head. And he says, like, wait, wait a second, can I, can I ask a question? And he says, so wait a second. So what you're saying, the plan of God is now that you've, you've made access available to every man and woman. Yes, Christ says. And so that now, if they receive the gift of salvation and allow the Spirit of God to transform them and fulfill 
the will of God versus all the distraction in this world and the powers and principalities in this world, then we will see the will of God to come to fruition in this earth and others will know that you are Lord. And Christ says, yes. The next question was, but what if men and women refuse your spirit and refuse to do what they have been called to do? And the response of Christ was, I have no other plan. See, we need to be reminded today that you are the plan of God. To allow his spirit to bring life into you and be a part of the church. See, that's exactly what Paul is setting up here. You are the church of Jesus Christ. You are the ones that are in war with the powers and principalities of this earth. God is engaging in this battle with us, but he is empowering us to do it today. Uh, there's another story I've told many times, but the, but the brief part of it, when, you, when I hear you say that, I wonder if anybody gets confused. Like, well, why doesn't God just intervene? And why doesn't the Lord just, just end all of this right now? See, I've told that many times before. I've told a story many times before. It kind of goes something like this. If the Lord were, were to intervene, and if all of us will know that there's a real hell on earth, and we chose Christ because of that, then why would we be choosing Christ? Out of fear. But what if he would make everything so good for us and like he would give us everything we ever asked for and anytime we asked for something, it was just like a grace dispenser. Every prayer request we've ever asked for had just been given to us. Then we would be pursuing Christ for his hands, for what he can give us. But just like any relationship, any relationship that is your most intimate relationship, at the end of the day, what is it that the Lord wants from us? He wants us to choose him for who he is and know him. And so that has been this underlying theme through the book of Ephesians the whole time. And I, I, the, the commission, the next in, in the passage, it says, stand firm that you are in a position of strength. It's the same kind of language that was spoken in the book of Joshua before Joshua went off to a real physical battle in the conquests in the Old Testament. But it was also the same kind of language that was spoken to Daniel in chapter 10, 19, when Daniel had been on his knees and praying, and he was visited by an angel, and the angel told him to be strong, because the moment that you began praying, there was spiritual warfare that began to happen. I began to be resisted. And so that was specifically referring to, in the Old Testament, these powers and principalities that Paul is talking about. There is a real war taking place, but it's not against that we are called to engage in. A real world war that has taken place that is not against flesh and blood. So quickly, I want to go through some of this armor, and then we're going to get to a time of, of thankfulness. It says, it talks about the belt of truth. We are called to be people of truth. Truth itself holds everything in place. You have a choice each morning when you wake up whether you are going to live in reality or whether you're going to live in fantasy land. And fantasy land is real easy to live in in the United States of America. You see, fantasy land could be, could be all these things that we, we hope happen, all these things that we, 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 whether we spend our time consumed with entertainment, we spend our time consumed with, with things that we lust after. But fantasy can also be something even dark as well. And I'm not... I'm not talking about dark sin. I'm talking about people often get caught thinking that people are out to get them 
because of stuff somebody said or a way somebody hurt me. But the truth, the reality, the belt of truth is that most people are just trying to defend for themselves. They're protecting themselves. Most of what someone's ever said to hurt you has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them. Hurting people hurt people. And so if we want to live in fantasy land, we can get really depressed about things that have happened to us, or we can get pie in the sky about um, and pursue things that have nothing to do with the will of Christ. But Paul in this text is calling us to put the buckle of tr- the belt of truth around your waist because it holds everything else in place. Live in the real reality of what this world is and what you are called to do. And then he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, this confidence that protects your heart, that you are accepted by Christ. There's nothing you can ever do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can ever do to make God love you less. And if we don't let our heart be protected, we can get in that same kind of funk. And any arrow from the enemy can destroy us because we don't find our true identity first in Christ. The next one, the feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Now, some of you might remember this guy, so I'm going to sing the song, and I'm going to ask you to sing the last two words of the song, okay? So get this in your head, and you're going to sing the last two songs. There was this guy I used to watch on TV, very popular when I was a kid. He used to sing this song that I sing every day when I wake up in the morning, okay, or when I come home. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Please, won't you be? Thank you. You need a song. Now, just like all of you, I'm sure each day when you come home, you take off your outside shoes and put on your inside shoes, right? No. <laughs> That's what was so strange about that part in that daggone show. Like, what are you doing? And then before he went back outside, he had to change his, shows, change his shoes again. Um, so Mr. Rogers needed to change his, from his inside shoes to his outside shoes. And part of what Paul is getting at in this text right here is that what he's saying is you really only have one pair of shoes. You may see yourself... As a construction worker, you may see yourself as a farmer, you may see yourself as a police officer, and you think that's the hat that you wear Monday through Friday, but what I'm trying to tell you is you were created here with a purpose to be someone who lives out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, see, the reason why we need to get that revelation is because the truth is many of us, many people in the church today put their Christian shoes on on Sunday, and they take them off and put other shoes on throughout the week. Come on. And Paul is saying, this is who you were called to be. You are here first and foremost to do the work of God. And everything else that you do is not a distraction, not meant to be a distraction for that, but an opportunity for that. That is what the gospel, your feet shrouded with the gospel, the readiness of the gospel of peace. Next, he talks about the shield of faith. For the stuff, all the stuff that you do see coming, the things that you know are around you that could, that could, that could hit you and, and affect you in some other way, that you would be men and women of faith that expect these things to come and see them coming and hold up your shield of faith. And then he talks about the helmet of salvation. By the way, do you guys know, I don't, those of you that watch the NFL, do you guys know there's actually only two things that NFL, two pieces of equipment 
that NFL players are required to wear? Anybody know what those two things are? Only two things of equipment they're required to wear. Yep. Nope, not required. Mouth guards, teeth are not that important, okay? Huh? I don't even know that they're required to wear shoes because kickers will sometimes go out with socks on. All right? Yes, helmet is one. If you looked at the helmet of salvation, you should have figured that out, okay? What's another one? Shoulder pads, that's it. They can go out with just their helmet and just their shoulder pads if they want to. And you watch, watch their legs. Most of them don't even wear any pads anymore on their legs because it slows them down. And none of them have like tail pads, hardly ever have tail pads or hip pads or anything like that. So those are the only two things that they're required to wear. And in this text, it talks about the helmet of salvation, one of the most important pieces of equipment to be reminded that we, you have been saved. You are protected There is this firm grip that's something we don't just think about spiritually, the rest of our body, but something that that encloses our senses that we are reminded of, that we have been redeemed. We have have been saved. And the last one, word biblical commentary, see, it notices the difference in the language. We don't really see this in our text, but there's a difference in the language of how Paul talks about these last two elements, about how the helmet of salvation and then the sword of the Spirit are things that need to be received, that we need is, is the last one is the sword of the spirit. The only true weapon that we have is a spiritual one. And when we talked about the sword of the spirit, we talked about how we must learn, or excuse me, when we talked about the Holy Spirit, how we must learn to yield to the Holy Spirit in our life. And the last thing he says, he says, pray in the spirit. In other words, pray biblically. Be alert. Prayer brings an awareness of what is going on in the spirit. We see this heroin epidemic all across our country, and the enemy is laughing at us as the church. And we try to find all these resolves, these these man-made resolves for ultimately what is a spiritual problem. We have the same thing with this social media stuff. Of course, social media can be used for good, but this whole new facade of this fantasy world that we've created where people pretend to be somebody that they're not, it's just strange. And the enemy has created this new distraction to consume others with. And all this division that continues to take place and the polarization that continues to take place in our country, we can look at these things and try to just avoid them and pretend that we're not part of them. But alertness as Christ followers, not only does it give you the ability to avoid these unnecessary conflicts, but it gives you a burden to bring resolve to them. I was talking to someone in our congregation this week about that. We are called to be people to have a ministry dwelling in us in our heart. Something that we know we're created to do that it doesn't appear as though nobody else is doing in, in a way that we can make an impact right now. And I'm not talking to the person sitting next to you right now. I'm talking to you. There is something in this earth that you were created to be about. And if you're waiting for someone else to do it, I'm telling you the Spirit of God is speaking to you today that it's time. It is your time to make an impact. It is your time to bring about that resolve. It takes a spiritual sense. It takes an alertness that comes through. Yeah, I already read that. It takes an alertness that comes through prayer, not only to keep yourself away from these struggles, but to do something to bring resolve to them. And so here has been this battle that we have been talking about. Man versus man. 
or man versus the powers and principalities of this world. As I shared, why God doesn't intervene? Because he wants his people to choose him for who he is. The Lord wants you to know him. And so the last thing that Paul says in this chapter, I'm actually going to skip verses 21 and 22, and I'm going to read the verses that Cheryl read to you this morning. And Dad, you can begin to to go to the guitar. It says, Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying, is what my NIV says, an undying love. The NASB said an incorruptible love. A certain type of, of love that is eternal. A certain type of love that, 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 that it won't end. And as I've said before, there's, uh, the, the Lord's not going to fail us. There's this certain type of connection that cannot be destroyed. Love has always been the background of Ephesians. The Lord is looking for those that love him enough to care about what he cares about. And I, all across this room, I, I wonder when I say growth in our life as I prayed for the people that I, that I prayed for this morning means learning to love God more. I wonder how that translates to many of you out there. I wonder if, if, if in your mind you think, I don't, how in the world do I learn to love God more than I do? And I've challenged you many times to think about your relationship with the Lord just like you think of relationships with other people. I shared at the beginning about fathers not exasperating their children and the danger of what happens when a father doesn't affirm a child, when a father doesn't express their love to him or her. So now we have a real golden, simple opportunity on the last Sunday before Thanksgiving, and Mandy, you can come forward at this time as well, where we're going to conclude service with that simple, all-encompassing theme of the book of Ephesians, love. Remember, I began this series by saying none of this stuff makes any sense at all if you've not committed your life to loving God. Being a part of the church is just irrelevant because there's There's 50% of claimed Christians today that do that. They say they're Christians, but they don't ever attend a church, and I don't know that they know what loving God with their life looks like. And so now we're going to be, I'm going to help you take a simple, small step. And we're going to conclude with a simple time of thankfulness. Now we're going to read some of the cards of some of the things that you wrote, some ways that we are just going to express our worship and our gratitude to the Lord. And then after we're done reading, I'm going to ask that everyone stand. And we got a song on the screen, but I want to encourage you to sing with all of your heart. Think about all that the Lord has given you, all that you have been blessed with, all that you have the potential, all that you have the opportunity to do today. And today in this place, as we conclude, we're going to love God together. All right, so you read the first one. I am thankful for another day to learn how to love God and people better. And I am thankful that my car still runs. Lord, thank you for my family. Lord, thank you for Jesus sacrificing for us. I am thankful for family time. Lord, thank you for my family and for friends and for good health. 
And Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ being in my life. Thankful for God's grace, for I am still a work in progress. Good. Thank you, Lord, for my God, my family, for my friends, and this country that I live in. I am so thankful for my family. Thank you, Lord, for my two new grandchildren, for my three beautiful granddaughters, and for my first season with five grandchildren. Lord, thank you for my job. For my job is it brings opportunities to show God's love to others and for my amazing family. Thank you, Lord. I'm thankful for my family, my health, and all the blessings that you have given me. Lord, I'm thankful for reasonably good health, for family, for, for, for Christ, for, and for 60 years of marriage. Thank you, Lord, for my family and my church family. I have one that just simply says two words. I'm thankful for God's grace. I'm thankful for good health, and I'm thankful for the healing power of prayer. I am thankful for our family. I'm done. I am thankful for my family and the Lord. I am thankful for my health. I am thankful for new friends, old friends, and my family. At this time, I want to ask all of you to stand as we sing these words on the screen together. And now it's your chance. I've said the, this line before, to sing a new song unto our God. A new song is just something that comes from your heart, your own expression, your way to say thank you. And so you've had one line. Now I'm asking you to think of some more in your time of worship unto the Lord. So let's, let's conclude with the time of worship together.
Lord. And our reminders of what it takes oftentimes to come back to You is a simple recognition of how real You are and how present You are in this world and all that You have already given us. So may our hearts be hearts of gratitude. And may this, this thankfulness for this love that we, and this love we have for You be something that we communicate with our lives to the world around us. So Lord, Your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.